Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight on a Tim Talk podcast is Dave McGuinness, who's a member of our Tuesday Crew podcast. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, thanks for jumping on and having a chat. I thought this is a uh, good opportunity for us to, uh, in the off-season, to jump on and have a bit of a chat about Celtic while there's no games and give the listeners and the viewers on the YouTube channel a chance to get to know you a bit, you know, yeah, outside exactly. of the normal podcast thing. So thanks for taking the time out of your busy day. No, no, happy to, happy to. And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll get a, maybe I'll get a word in today because the Tuesday crew, it can be a, be a, be a bit of a, bit of a fight uh, from week to week. So, yeah, although I've got to admit, you know, it's been a little while since I've been on there. So uh, looking forward to getting back, stuck, stuck back into it. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, shots fired, Tuesday crew. Look out. <laughs> Can't wait for our group chat to kick off when this goes out there. Yeah, Happy right. days. <laughs> so, yeah, today's all about you, Dave. So um, what we'll start off with is the usual first question on one of these podcasts. How did you become a Celtic fan? Well, I don't really remember becoming a Celtic fan. It's one of those things that it's sort of uh, um, just always been part of my sort of sporting life, I suppose. But uh, Celtic have one of a, a, a big tapestry of, of the sort of sporting environment. Sport has been just so important to me and my family and our identity and sort of, and my own personal identity. And yeah, Celtic is, Celtic forms a big part of that. You know, I'm a, um, you might be able to tell from my, uh, from my name, McGuinness. My family is a Northern Irish um, 
Catholic family. Um, so my grandfather uh, migrated to Perth in the 1920s and uh, my grandmother uh, migrated from, her family migrated from Glasgow uh, at around the same time to Perth. So we're a um, pretty pretty large, the, the McGuinnesses and the Duffies in Perth. Some of you of our West Australian listeners might might know them, Duffy, Duffy Brothers Plumbing, that's us. Um, so we awesome. were <laughs> we were a little plug. There we go. Um, yeah, so part of that sort of Irish Catholic community in inner city Perth uh, from that sort of 1930s, 1920s, 1930s onwards. So around Northbridge and then uh, settled in Mount Hawthorne, which is kind of near Leaderville and that sort of West Perth area. So that's sort of been, always been a big part of my identity, that we're sort of part of this pretty strong and um, not necessarily devout, although parts of our family are devout, but sort of Irish Catholic community. But, I mean, for anyone who knows that that area of Perth, it's also, you know, historically a pretty multicultural area as well. So there's a lot of um, Southern European migration in that area and um, Italian in particular and sort of uh, Croatian um, there. So it's sort of always been this really um, mixed area. So from my sporting identity, my first kind of alliance or, sorry, allegiance would be to the West Perth Football Club in, um, in the West Australian Footy League, the Waffle. Then that's sort of my earliest sporting memories of sort of being part of that sort of Irish, Southern European kind of Catholic. We used to be called the Garlic Munchers. That was sort of what the what the um you know the tough claremont supporters kind of from the from around the lake used, around the river used to call us and yeah so it's a badge we wore with pride and so from there i know i'm not talking about celtic but you know from there i kind of became a quite a um uh, i was at the first west coast eagles game when they've uh, entered the national australian footy competition uh, i've been a you know eagles supporter ever since and they've probably been the most dominant part of my sporting life but through that, like, um, yeah, that sort of Irish Catholic identity has always been pretty strong. And, yeah, you know, there wasn't a time when I was like, who should I go for? Should I go for, you know, Arsenal? Should I go for Manchester United? Should I go for it? No, it's just always been sort of Celtic one and only. It's probably what has talked about around the kitchen table. It's probably, you know, through my – I didn't know my grandfather well, but he passed away before I was um, – you know, uh, very old, but yeah, it's just always something there. We've got a really strong relationship still with our family in Ireland. Uh, we've we're from Derry. Uh, most of our family, the McGuinnesses, are, are from Derry, and a lot of our family, my family, now lives in Belfast. And I've been lucky enough to get back a lot. I lived in, um, once well, you grew up in England for part of that time. Grew up in England. The very um, Southern uh, posh. I grew up with a very posh accent. You might um, struggle to believe, but yeah, I grew up. My father moved over to England as a. Um, he's like a bank manager, <laughs> and he was set up. He was actually setting up some Australian banking institutions in London. And so we, when I was three years old, I sort of we sort of found ourselves in England in a very posh part of England. And so I grew up with an accent like this, and. Um, I don't believe it. I know, right? Yeah, well, I lost it pretty soon on coming back. So I was there for about four years um, until I was about seven. 
And so it's during that time, that's that's probably when we reconnected really firmly with our Irish family. And I do remember very vividly some of my earliest memories is going over to Derry, probably a bit of a curiosity myself as this kind of posh Australian boy. But, um, and, you know, like it was, this was, well, early 1980s. So it was pretty, pretty, um, pretty turbulent times. Some of my earliest memories, uh, you know, seeing these burning buses and, you know, um, sort of being evacuated from places in, in Derry and then also in London. So there was sort of this, this kind of strange combination, I suppose, between being we were like the only Australians in the village in this southern English posh part of town, connecting with our Irish um, roots at the time at, at which, you know, sort of Irish republicanism was, you know, heavily demonised in, um, in, in England. And... Yeah, and so and and sort of having this like sort of identity crisis kind of happening at a very young age. What happened from there? So in terms of my so- my football supportership or soccer, as I you know habitually call it, um, the the nearest club to us was actually Wimbledon. So my brother and my father used to go and watch Wimbledon uh, play. It's probably when they were a few divisions down, and it was at about this time they went on that incredible run and ended up winning the. FA Cup and then ended up in what became the Premier League, you know, so they were sort of the first club to go all the way up. So I've always had a, had a pretty soft spot for Wimbledon. Obviously, if anyone's followed that club, you know, they had the... Is that the crazy and, gang? Sorry? Is that the crazy gang you're talking about there? Crazy gang, yeah, yeah. Crazy crazy and, yeah. Um, uh, Robbie Earl and um, uh, Fashionu and all sorts of, yeah, that, that was a yeah. pretty pretty exciting period for that. I mean, they played pretty boring football, but they were a pretty interesting crew. Um, they ended up relocating to Milton Keynes, became the MK Dons, and then there's another club that's kind of formed up in its wake, AFC Wimbledon from the – and it's it's gone on this incredible run. So, anyway, I'll keep an eye on AFC Wimbledon, but, um, you know, not with any great passion or anything like that. And um, – but yeah, I mean the constant through that I suppose has been has been Celtic um, jumping around a little bit. But yeah, as an adult, I sort of again like like footy, Australian football was you know my main sort of sporting passion. So I moved to Melbourne, you know, sort of like the only Eagles supporter around, and you know saw some pretty successful times and some pretty tough times over there. But throughout that, you know, like Celtic was my main my main. Um, soccer sort of passion. I, I, I do remember like through the 2002 World Cup um, in living in Melbourne and, you know, sort of being part of that Irish community there in Ireland went on that um, pretty cool, had a pretty cool run. I think they made it to the knockouts. Um, and that's probably when some of the, you know, through some of my Irish friends that I was sort of making them sort of when, um, sort of really started getting interested again. And then not long after that, or sort of around that time, I had moved to Belfast, lived in Belfast for a couple of, more like a year, a year to two years. Um, so I have gained a pretty good understanding of, you know, the dynamics, social dynamics there. And that's uh, like I said, as I mentioned, I've got quite a bit of family in Belfast. So I still um, uh, not particularly passionate Celtic supporters or anything like that, would probably say pretty moderate, you know, nationalists centrist, nationalist, um, you know, community and not particularly passionate around Celtic, but I did get to understand, um, you know, a lot of the dynamics there. And then later um, moved to Glasgow and I spent a couple of, two of the best years of my life living in Glasgow, um, uh, 
had my first child, um, was born in Glasgow and, yeah, spent quite, went to quite, went to games, had my, you know, Satanta subscription and watched everything. And that was, so that was 2006 to, to around 2008. So a pretty, pretty exciting period in the club's history with um, Gordon Strachan and the gang, you know, progressing. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was a really exciting time. And um, yeah, so um, after that, I sort of got stuck in 2007 for a while, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Didn't, I'd moved back to Australia and, you know, didn't probably follow them as closely. And um, it was really during the COVID pandemic when we, none of us had anything to do. Um, that I sort of, you know, subscribed back to KO and made sure that I was able to watch all the games. And it was dire, wasn't it? It was just awful experience watching. It was just not what this, not what the club is about and not what anything was. And I, I, I remember thinking like, geez, this is, this is tough. And then to so, I'm sure we'll get onto it in a bit, to see the shot in the arm that Ange and, you know, the post-pandemic kind of period has kind of brought us has just been really exciting. So... Yeah, that's a that's that's my sort of potted history of you know from multi, from different different perspectives, I suppose. I I, I have um, like a lot of Australians, I suppose, uh, in the global sporting landscape. You know, you kind of piece together a lot of different um, a lot of different allegiances. And um, Celtic has probably been Celtic and West Perth Footy Club and West Coast Eagles have probably been the constants. Uh, and yeah, and then of course. Western United, uh, I know you probably don't want to talk about that too much, Jared, um, as a victory guy, but um, I just couldn't get into the A-League at all um, for some reason And um, until I'm here in Ballarat. I live in Ballarat now, which is Western Victoria. And, um, yeah, like so I know that there's not many of us, but those of us who it has, has hit, has it's hit hard. We're kind of the team for Western Victoria and, um, yeah, long may it continue. Oh, well, what do you expect when they play out in the sticks where you are, mate? It makes it a bit easier. Oh, like, I, know, I know not everyone enjoys Mars Stadium as a venue <laughs> in Ballarat. It has a maximum temperature of about four degrees. But some of the best afternoons watching football have been with my mates here in Ballarat watching uh, West United get beaten 3-0 by Wellington Phoenix. It's just good. I guess the point I'm trying to make, it's great to have a local team. It's great. And I know that there's... You know, we could talk about West United and the the, the the failed stadium bid for, and the and the problems with the A League, a lot. But in that's terms a of identity, podcast, it's a different podcast. That's right. But it, there is something about like that sort of connecting to something. You know, I couldn't find anything to connect to in the A League until this sort of rough geographic sort of connection came along. And I guess that's my point with um, with Celtic as well. It's not like I'm some Catholic, but there is something about the identity that does connect with me, that has kind of endured through all this time. I can tie both of those up perfectly for you with what you've told us so far. Yeah. Celtic fan because of the family background. There you go. That's a nice summary. And the reason you become Western United fan, other than them playing around the corner from you, is really simple. When you would have had your season ticket under or going to games under Gordon Strachan, Green and black striped top. What's Western United wear? Absolutely. Yeah. There's your tie-in to Celtic. You know there you go. Right. That yeah. was that was kind of the clincher because I do get about in my 2006 era black and black and green stripes, 
And you know, the other clincher was, you know, you know who one of the first signings for West United was? Scotty McDonald. Scott McDonald. Yep. And so that was his peak, peak era of my Celtic following. So yeah, I mean, he didn't last long. I'm not sure. He, he's. He, I know he scored a good. He scored a pretty crucial goal against Melbourne Victory once. But um, uh, yes, you're dead right. That's what sealed it. There you go. I figured it out. There we go. <laughs> so you mentioned Ange before. So yeah. we'll just talk about it. So at Celtic, we've recently had a change of manager. So Ange has moved on, gone to Tottenham, and Brendan Rodgers has returned to the club. So first of all, as an Australian, I want to get your point of view. How do you look back on Ange's time at the club? With great fondness, you know, like as I think I said on a pod um, a little while ago, but, you know, I think he's given me given given me the, the my two best years as a as a Celtic supporter, even including, you know, the, the time when I was around. There's just something um I think maybe it was the something like the flatness that came during that COVID period and the sense of doom, you know, when when Rangers um won that title by so by so long. So from a footballing point of view, I think he's brought back a lot of pride and a lot of um a lot of character that probably didn't go far, you know, it probably, it probably didn't go, it, it didn't completely disappear or anything, but he was able to kind of tap into something um, that a lot of us kind of feel. So there is like from a, from a sort of footballing identity, you know, sort of position, I think he was the right person at the right time to bring that flair and, and footballing identity back as an Australian Oh, it's just been, it's been fantastic. Um, it's been good to kind of, not in a told you so kind of way, but like to prove people wrong. You know, I think he's 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 always been a pretty pioneering figure in Australian football. Um, and, you know, that kind of sense, we all remember, there's no point going over it, but, you know, the extent to which he was not embraced early on, and we can see that happening at Tottenham right now, Yep. I don't know. There was a there was a level of there was a level of vindication, I suppose, that kind of came from that of like actually we need to, you know, not just as Celtic supporters, but probably as football supporters more broadly, you know, like open our minds up to what is possible. And as an Australian, um, you know, that felt that felt good, you know, that that our contributions aren't just um uh you know on the margins, but can potentially be uh, right at the centre. And so, you know, in terms of him moving on to Tottenham, it is extremely disappointing. Would have loved to have seen him give it another go in Europe. Um, but I'm also quite sort of, I feel vindicated in that point of view as well, you know, like that it is, you know, let's not kid ourselves about where we stand in the in the, in the the hierarchy of, of European football, that um, it's still, you know, that there's, there's, still a, there's still a rise to be had and that he can continue to be a pioneer. So I look back on it with extreme fondness, a little bit, just a tinge of disappointment that it didn't go for longer. Um, and, yeah, a sense of, I don't know, feel I feel more, like, secure in my position as an Australian football fan um, because of it. So, and I'm glad that it happened at my club, you know, the club that I love. And, um, yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. That's basically what my thoughts are on it as well. Like I've said on numerous podcasts, on other shows and stuff that I've been guests on that. For me, it's great that he came to the club. I didn't think he'd stay more than three years max because that's his usual shelf life with the club anyway. Mm. So the fact that he's gone after two, that was some of the most enjoyable football, as you're saying, like, as you said, that you've witnessed in your life. That team was just so likable. Yeah. The, the last two years, like, there's there's not player, not many players there that you just thought – yeah, that person's a bit of an idiot and I don't really like them much, but yeah. they're wearing the boots, so I'll support them. That was a, just a likable team across the board over two years, worked hard, played hard and reconnected and gave us our club back as a fan base. And for me, it was the pride of that being a guy who I've been going and watched when he first started managing at South Melbourne in 1996. Really? Wow. And I've been watching him since then. And I've seen him through the A-League, into the Australian spot, seen what he's done in Japan, and then to come to our club in Scotland that we support and being a guy from our hometown, it's just just yeah. amazing. Like, yeah. It's, it's so much pride there. And the fact yeah. that he didn't leave us to go to a, a, a pissant little club like Brighton, for instance, and he went to a traditional top six team in the English Premier League shows you know, just how good he is. Yeah, I mean it's a tough time to be an Australian Arsenal supporter, um, but uh, the yeah I think that the bit the, the bits that gave me the most I don't know that I enjoyed the most I suppose because you know read a fair bit of comments commentary on you know Kerrydale Street and yeah um, and all of that, but when and you know the podcasts and whatever, but when people in Glasgow or Scotland or Ireland or wherever were saying this guy gets us, you know, and that there's something about his history and background and experience and his personality that means that they, you know, they can understand that sort of similar experience of being part of an immigrant community, you know. And to me, you know, I just told you my story about, you know, being part of the Irish community in, in, in Western Australia, you know, it's hardly the most, being part of the Irish community in Western Australia is hardly the most marginal sort of position to be in and you know it's very different from from being in the Irish community in Glasgow in the in the 19th century but I don't know there was just something something that I really appreciated and enjoyed about you know people in Scotland and Ireland kind of making that that leap you know that sort of imaginative leap between the very specific circumstances that Celtic has found out of and then founded out of and has continued in and then that sort of connection back to another form of colonial, you know, sort of colonial um, 
histories. And as someone who's lived, I told you about, you know, as a young posh boy, sort of trying to find find my identity as an Australian in Britain and having lived in Belfast and Glasgow and been back and forth quite a bit. And I think we're to, you know, I'll go there in a moment, but like there is a really patronising, there actually is, you know, there is quite a patronising relationship between Britain, Ireland less so, but it's still there, and Australia, you know, that we're actually not um, sort of central to a story, that we're actually, uh, you know, like a, a collection of cliches and stereotypes and whatever it might be. Um, so I think Ange completely busted a lot of them and will continue to do so at Tottenham. But to have done it in a way that sort of actually tapped into something that people felt about themselves and their identities rather than just football, I say rather than just football, just football is very important, um, I think is really, uh, yeah, I, don't know, I just found it really gratifying. And, um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, for what it's worth, Ange, Good luck, you know. Like I hope he keeps carrying on and on and up and up and keeps proving people wrong on behalf of of all of us. Yeah, and the other thing there, what you're touching on there is there's a for the guys in the UK who don't really know Australian football coverage. Growing up, there was a guy, big pioneer in our sports media in for football, Les Murray. Yeah, he used to re- refer to the game of soccer over here and football in Europe as the world game. Mm. And that's what bugged me when Ange was coming in, having won titles in Australia, won titles in Japan, won an Asian Cup. It's a world game. He's been successful everywhere. But people yeah. are like, oh, who's this, guy, this Australian guy who's been in Japan? What's he going to know? And he comes in and wins five trophies out of a potential six in two years at the club. That yeah. said it all. So that was just great and, to see that. And yeah. It's just, the world game, and that's I think not just for us, but as a support, as a club, we kind of realise that there's more to football than than just Europe. And yeah. with Ange coming in, and players like Kyogo and Hatate and Maeda, and these sort of guys coming in as well, you're bringing in guys from Australia at the moment, like Tilio. We're starting to look at it and not yeah. going. We have to recruit from England. We can get players from everywhere. Yeah, that's right, and. To do that in a smart way, and um, to sort of, and but expanding Celtic supporters' notion of what is, and and yeah, it's it's really it's really funny to see it happening in Tottenham. I'm getting into stupid arguments with people on Twitter about you know, well, what's this guy ever achieved? And I, you know, I can't help myself. I, I still get into these stupid arguments, but um, but I, I think we're seeing it a little bit as well. You know, the, the landscape is changing massively. You know, and to see actually that with with Jota going to Saudi Arabia now, um, there is a fair bit of commentary going on in Celtic, you know, chat quarters, you know, around like, oh, we we would have liked him to go to a bigger league and go to a better place. And we've got, we, we think that, you know, we're kind of comfortable with the notion of people moving on, particularly with a price tag like that, but we're comfortable with that notion, but that there's still an element which is like, oh, but it has to be to, you know, a, a league that we approve of. And I guess I was kind of saying that a little bit just now around Ange, then seeing some of the pictures coming back from, is it Idihad, Al Idihad supporters yeah. back onto onto Celtic chats, kind of actually showing the stadium and the you know, and kind of saying actually he's this is big you know this is a this is a big league and it's important here, leaving behind you know because again it's a complete other podcast but you know the sports washing of the Saudi you know regime, I'm not by any means trying to endorse that but I'm just saying I think. 
I don't know, there's something that has kind of expanded out, like that for Celtic supporters now to say that Asian football is not valuable, is yeah. is not, it's not something that's as much a, a, a thing anymore. And, you know, so Andrew's kind of been a pioneer there as well. It's funny you say that though, Dave, because realistically when you look at Asian football in general, they have it split into East Asia, West Asia in yeah. terms of the the, 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 the Asian Champions League. And it's always tends to be the East Asian teams have the more depth in their leagues, like Japan, Korea, Australia, those sort of guys. They're yeah. like stronger teams with better better quality of players. And everyone's always viewed the West Asian teams like the ones in Qatar and, um, you know, Dubai Saudi and, and, and Saudi yeah. and all that as a bit of a retirement home. So they're going through a bit of a swing now where, there's some money in there. They're bringing in younger players. They're bringing in better players. And you'll see more depth in that mm. now. So if you watch the Asian Champions League, it's probably going to be a bit more even across both East and West. But whenever you'd got to the final knockout stages, it was always in a head-to-head one-on-one battle. It was always an even split. But now looking at it, it's just football's mm. changing. And again, it it's is. a world game. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great to, that Australia is is part of that. I think our shift into Asia has been um, such a critical factor in that. You know, again, there's debates about how, what that's done at the grassroots level and with the A-League and stuff like that. But um, I think, yeah, I, I love that you pointed out, Les Murray, there, and that, like, actually the, the identity that we adopt as football fans or soccer fans here in Australia has to be a necessarily global identity. Whereas in places like Europe, it can be, yeah, it's global in terms of the money that's flowing in. and the are on half the time. But it's very, it's very actually sort of parochial in this strange kind of way, whereas we sort of have to be um, a bit more, yeah, global in our thinking. And it's a pity. I, I, I do wish that the Asian Champions League was a bit of a bigger deal here. Um, you know, we just don't have that sort of established traditions yet, I suppose, here in Australia. But... Um, I do think that that's, you know, that's that's a real strong way forward um, in Australia. Anyway. That's a whole other thing. So we'll get back to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you looking forward to most with Brendan Rogers returning to the club? Look, it's really, it's exciting. I mean, I, I like, I love it as well. Like he's a, you know, let's not kid around. Like he's a top-class manager, you know, like he's, he's, um, had his struggles in recent times in Leicester, and I, I don't keep my eye too closely on the English Premier League, to be honest, or or Leicester in particular. But um, yeah, I love this. I, I love that we've been able to almost leverage the sentimental atta- attachment, you know, like the, the 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 attachment of a supporter, someone who's from Northern Ireland, um, and to get maximum value. Like I, I, I don't know. It, it feels a lot like you know, that there's some unfinished business and that we're able to um, sort of upgrade. I don't, you know, personally, like I said, I don't know the ins and outs of his of his sort of um, career in the Premier League. It doesn't feel like it's this big upgrade from Ange, but um, I'm just kind of impressed that this kind of idea of being a Celtic person can lead to this sort of professional sort of outcome you know this actually is kind of quite high level outcome it feels like some sort of marrying of that you know what has always been a really good strength of our club of the you know the the sentimental or like 
maybe it's ethnic or maybe it's like, um, you know, historical connections, but then translating that into a professional thing. And so the thing that I'm most interested to see, I suppose, is like what's changed from, you know, Brendan Rogers obviously left for a reason, you know, probably to get, you know, the, 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 the money down south. But, um, you know, I wonder if he could see, you know, the level of unprofessionalism that was happening at the board level and the lack of strategy and, you know, that ended up, you know, in the debacle that it did and whether he's now coming back and saying like, gee, now I can actually get some good money and I can actually be at the club that I love and work in that sort of professional environment. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I was certainly not any on any line of thinking around like the rat or anything like that like I, I never quite understood the depth of feeling around that until actually I got on you know like started meeting a lot of you guys in the Celtic Down Under community and sort of realizing the depth of passion there I just I just sort of missed it really um so I've never had any sort of hesitation there or will he fit, fit back in I'm just kind of thinking like gee we've done well here so um yeah really really looking forward really looking forward to it the level of you know how the how the structures are going to sort of you know gel between Ange's signings and Rogers' tactics and so on. I'll leave that football chat to the uh, to the to the Monday crew. <laughs> yeah, for me with Rogers coming back, I'll look at it and go. You've touched on the structure and behind the scenes and everything, and that's great that we've modernised the club under Ange while he was there. So that's great. Brendan's already commented on that. That that's. It's an improvement since he was yeah. there last time. So that's great to hear. For me, he was the best candidate we could have got with Ange moving on. So mm. I will give credit where it's due on that. At the same time, I still don't trust the guy. He's got to win me over because, um, yeah, just from what happened last time. Yeah. He's just, he's got a bit of a bit there to do, but I'll back the team. I'll support him. I know he's the best candidate we would have got. But for me, I just don't really trust the guy. Yeah, he's always been good with the media, though. But it's just the saying. I was braised quite a bit where it was like, fool me once, shame on me, or you fool me twice, shame on me sort of saying. So, yeah, yeah, it's like I don't – I've been burnt once. I'm just like, "Hmm, okay, come in, play some good quality football, win some trophies, win me over. You've got to – You've got to wine and dine me now if you want, you know, know, want me to give you a cuddle and support you and talk you up on the pod. That makes sense. You know, trust is trust is pretty hard, hard earned and easily lost, you know. So, um, yeah. I mean, people, I've seen that people are saying similar things about Ange, not not nearly to the same extent. Um, so, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I I totally, totally get that point of view. And I think he seems to understand that as well. But, yeah, he, do, he does, he does uh, talk, talk a good game, like between him and Beal, you know. Um, it's going to be entertaining, you know, to see the back and forth going on there. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. It'll be who's talking the most amount of shot. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Whereas I think, like, you know, not to not to get get too um, sentimental about Ange, but I never, I never felt like he was bullshitting anybody. I know that there's some people saying, ah, oh, he sold us a, you know, he sold us the, the old sob story, the same one that he's doing to Tottenham, but I think he's just being himself. And um, yeah, I miss it. Miss it already. <laughs> That's just him telling his his story and his philosophy and all this. So I'm sure we'll hear about his dad soon, and we'll hear about yeah. a bunch of other stuff. But yeah. that's just Ange. He's 
that story hasn't changed from his time. Yeah, well, imagine if the story did change, then it would yeah, be, no. you know. Like, the internet so, doesn't, yeah. yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but, no, it's exciting. It is, It is. it's, um, you know, with a number of players leaving and, you know, like there was a bit of a sense of, you know, is this the exodus kind of thing. Um, uh, I don't know, Kyogo signing up again, so it feels like a massive, um, you know, a, a big thing. Um, and yeah, no, let's, let's look forward, let's look forward to the season. Like it's, it does feel, and I guess, yeah, just that point around, like, it's kind of cool to have this sort of ongoing narrative around, you know, unfinished business. Like let's, let's, let's pick up where we left off kind of thing. It's but having it here for three in a row, three in a row. So the song is here for 10. Come on, let's go for it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll jump a few of the um, the other things I had on the on the chat because we've already discussed them. So we'll skip ahead to the fun questions that I'll normally right, like yeah. to end the pod with. So that the four fun ones for you. So okay. we'll start off with who would be your all time favorite Celtic player other than Henrik Larsson and why? Oh, easy, easy, easy. You know who I'm going to say. I'm from the black and the the, the black and green era. Sean Suki Nakamura, um, as like he was, he's just a brilliant figure of that period, you know. And um, so my, I said that I lived in Glasgow around that time. So one of my greatest moments that I had in Glasgow was, um, so I said that my son was born there, and so we went to the, I think it was the Glasgow Pram Centre. Some of your listeners might have been there. Huge pram shop, and I find myself in the line next to. Shansuki Nakamura, he's buying a much cuddle. more expensive model of pram uh, than I was, and I just kind of gave him a bit of a, uh, you know, price of prams these days, you know, sort of, um, sort of look, and he gave me a bit of a shake of the head and a, like, yeah, you know. So I've always felt like uh, sort of connected to him, <laughs> um, but he was a, um, you know, we talk about that sort of opening up you know, that Ange opened up Japan and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, no, <laughs> it had happened already. And that, um, uh, that I don't know, just the, the sort of the princely kind of um, uh, stance that he had, his sort of authority, obviously over the dead ball, but over, over, over um, his control of the ball was just quite uh, majestic. And the fact that he did it when it counted as well, you know, those... those um, uh, those dead balls against Manchester United, there's two of them, right? Um, were just I, I remember being in in um, in the pub in Glasgow when when uh, one of them went in and just uh, yeah, quite quite extraordinary. Um, I think I've spoken about this on the pod before, but yeah, there was also a sense in the media at the time that he was not you know not tough enough or not, you know, didn't step up at the right times. And I remember, they, you know, coming into a game against Rangers, they were sort of talking, oh, he's never scored against Rangers. So, you know, how good can he really be? And then he scores that blinder from, you know, about 30 yards out um, in, a, in a fantastic win against Rangers. So, yeah, knacker for me. Yeah, well, he didn't need to be tough. Like, who do you have alongside him in the midfield? Yeah, yeah. He had Brown and he had... Uh, Massimo Donati and uh, um, 
yeah, no, it was a not that he was the toughest guy going around, but yeah, it was a it, um, Robson, right? Oh, good times. Yeah, you yeah. would have had um, Thomas Gravison alongside him Gravison, as well. Yep, that was who I was yep. thinking. I'm like, you would have had maybe Keane or definitely Gravison. I knew that. I'm like, you got a few nutters alongside you. You're all good. Yeah, no, and he would have. Lennon would have still been playing as well. So. Yeah. You'd, so you would have had good coverage. He doesn't need to be out there sick and shin, um, you know, studs in. Yeah, people's he, he was he was the aristocratic kind of get yeah get the job done and um that nah, so yeah Naka, Naka, Nakamura for me. I look at Naka and go the way he was with that team where he didn't need to be the one out there just like you know just leaving the boot in was the same way Rogic was when he had um Bruni mm. playing behind him like in, in Rogers' first stint like. He didn't need to do that. It wasn't his requirement. So it's kind of like that's the same sort of setup there. But yeah, Nakamura yeah. quality. Well, yeah, you know the, the the criticism that Kyogo seems to get from from you know, oh, all he does is score from you know two meters out and go. Well, that's what he's there yeah. for. You know, like we're criticizing people for doing their jobs, and uh, yeah, it's always a bit des- you know a bit of desperation to kind of criticize people for you know jobs they're not supposed to be doing. So, yep. Who would your all-time top five players that you've seen play for Celtic be in your lifetime? Um, well, I've got I've got Macker on the list there, um, obviously. Um, five. Uh, Just wrap them off. I think the current the, the current crop is is definitely up there. Um, who would be? Well, oh, I don't want to get too sort of one-dimensional and predictable, but you know, I'd love to see Kyogo play. I'd love to actually watch. The way that he gets into the positions that he does, um, and I think with him signing on now, um, he, could, he, you know, he could he could become a legend of the club. Uh, so I'll, I will put I will put Kyogo in there. Um, George's Jackamarcus, I love that guy. Um, no, I'm, no, who am I thinking? Shit, sorry, um, not Jackamarcus. Oh, we'll come back to that. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Samaras. Oh, I got my Georges. I got my, my Greek Georges mixed up. George Samaras. God, that's how much I love him. I couldn't remember his name. No. Um, Samaras was a uh, just a great character, wasn't he? Like sort of loping around as if he was... Um, you know the, the most hard done by guy in the, in in Scotland, and um, drive me insane watching him play. Yeah, him in the Champions League, and you'd be like, it's got so much energy about him, and the effort he's putting in. Then you'd see him back on the league on the weekend, and he's just like, 
looks like he's playing in slow mo. And sometimes he was running, and you look at it and go, "There's a snail could probably be yeah. quicker." And it's just and a- he's, he's the ball, like his hands are out calling for it. I'm like, dude, there's three guys around you. How are they going to yeah. get you the ball? Yeah, he's yeah, he one of those insane. enigmatic, mercurial. Yeah. Um, but you know, he scored. He scored. Like, oh, yeah. give him that. And so uh, he. Um, uh, do you remember that game? You must have been there when Celtic came and played Melbourne Victory. Oh yeah. I was there. And um, pouring rain. It was a miserable night. But um, but he was like the main attraction, you know, like I think he was yeah. captain of Celsius. His dad was born in Melbourne. Yeah, because he's got that sort of, yeah, that Melbourne connection. So, again, you know, like this sort of um, the repetition of the Greek, you know, sort of influence, the Japanese influence and so on. But I remember it was that was a lovely moment, you know, that sort of celebration of a, of, of a career <laughs> That was um, George Samaras that night. Jackamacus, not so much, not so much. I, I think I think he was fine, but yeah, I apologise for um, mixing those two up before. Um, and I, you know, just just while while I'm thinking about you know big hulking forwards from that era, Jan, Jan Vanegor of Hesselink was a was a um, was a great character as well, just for the name, if, if nothing else. But he scored some pretty crucial goals. Can you um, Buying a shirt with his name on it, how many extra yeah. letters to pay for? Yeah, it was it sort of like a big curve. Um, yeah. Um, and then you know, I guess to to round out the sort of Australian perspective, um, it was great having Viduka as a um, such a great figure at the club, and you know, sort of before he went on to become the great figure that he is in Australian football, but also in 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 English football as well, I think. And he's one of those, I think he's one of those figures that gets better the longer since he's retired, you know, like the sort of the memory of him sort of playing for Australia and the role that he played in that World Cup in uh, 2006 was fantastic. And to think that he had come from Celtic there. So, but I didn't really, I wasn't really following a great deal when he was there. So then, of course, Scott McDonald uh, was fantastic, just scored and scored and scored. Would she have ever done it for Australia or, you know, more frequently for Western United? Um, and Tom Rogic, I mean, what a what a player. The way that you described it there was very good, you know. He could, when, when he had the ability or the licence to kind of focus on his game and the, the you know, the brilliant stuff that he could then do, then um, there was, there's not many, not many better players to watch. I look at Rogic like he's the the luxury car in like yeah. a in like a, a paddock full of um, you know panel beaters and like what's it called not panel beaters paddock bombs to say yeah. you're out in the country and there's like a Mercedes and it's surrounded by a bunch of old Datsuns and Tiranas yeah. and stuff like that. That's what Rogic was like. If you just let him play his game. Well, I see that um, Canberra are going to be entering it A League in a couple of years, and yeah. gee, wouldn't it be good to see Rogic come back and just sort of blitz the blitz the A-League for a couple of years in his hometown as the, um, yeah, so, you know, live in hope. Don't know if that'll happen because, um, yeah, Rogic being of uh, a certain background, he might just oh, do, really? a Viduka, might do a Viduka type and just be like suddenly just disappear into retirement and not tell anyone. Yeah. That's what would yeah. want. He'd probably do that. Well, Oh, I hope we, I hope we, I hope we see him back. It's all still, you may know more than you know others, but it's all still pretty shrouded in mystery. The uh, Rogic situation, which I just think makes it all the more interesting. Yep. 
What's some of your most memorable games that you've seen Celtic play and what's so memorable about them to you? Um, I'm trying, yeah, I'm sort of thinking through it like the... Um, I'll give you some thinking time and I can answer. Were you there when they played in Melbourne? Sorry? Or in, did you go to the games up in Sydney last year? I didn't. I bought tickets. But yeah. um, I just couldn't couldn't make it work in the end, and I tried to flog them off or tried to pretend that I had COVID and they were, they were having none of it. So um, I ended up paying, but I didn't end up going. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that that was a good one for me getting to see like Kyogo and Jota and those sort of guys playing. So that was yeah. great. And yeah, seeing the boys play live for the first time in in the flesh when they played victory down here was great too. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'd put the game against Melbourne Victory um, up there, you know, because it was sort of a, it was an unexpected sort of, it was, it was like we said, it was a terrible night and um, the crowd was pretty poor. Um, I think for whatever reason, who knows? But that was, you know, a moment of kind of connection to all of those stories that I was kind of telling before and sort of, um, so that was a, that was a memorable night. Scott Brown scored the winner, I think. Um Cup finals, the cup final. No, more the. I think I've spoken about this on the pod already, but the semi final last year of the League Cup, I think it was against St Johnston. Am I right? And when um, James Forrest scored, and it was after it was on this, not long after the 67th minute, it was a, it was a struggle, and it was the big Tifo went up and the pyro display at the 67th minute around. Um, Bertie Old, who had just passed away, and um, and that song, you know, they're the singing, you know, the 67, you know, um, in the heat of Lisbon. Yeah. Incredible. And to see the lift that that gave, like I, I think I've told this story before on the pod, but like my daughter, I was sitting with my daughter who's becoming a, fast becoming a Celtic supporter, um, and she was not really paying attention, but then this kind of song came up from the crowd with this pyro and she's like, what is happening? Like, what's going on? I was like, this is Celtic, you know, this is this is how it goes. And then, of all people, James Forrest scores and um, put them into the final, which then, you know, that was the first trophy that Ange won and that was that heroic performance by Kyogo where he scored those two incredible, was it two um, at least? Two chipped them. and on one leg. Yeah, he chipped them and that was sort of his last action. And um, to me that was, yeah, that was sort of real gutsy kind of stuff and it sort of showed that Ange and this new generation, you know, has got that sort of that that touch. Um, Probably, I mean, the most memorable game I went to was uh, the – I've been to one Champions League game and that was against uh, Benfica in 2008 it would have been. It was a 1-0 victory. Aidan McGeady scored and incredible, just incredible. You know, like the listeners don't need me to explain, you know, the experience of being at a European match. But as a Champions League, you know, when we were up and about and and, uh, that's – I went with my dad who was over at the time and, uh, yeah, that's something I'll never forget. It was absolutely brilliant. Now I've got a question for you on that. Champions League nights. Can you feel the stadium heaving under you when when the goal scored? Like it actually moving? Yeah. Because you're watching it over here 
And having not been in the stadium on a Champions League night, you see the camera and it's like this and it's on and everything's yeah. just walking <laughs> And it's like, okay, the stadium's got to be moving, but can you feel that as a person in the crowd? Like an eruption. Um, I've, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was anticipating it so much, you know, like there's such a, such a, um, you know, you want it to be a game like that. You want it to be an experience yeah. like that. So I don't know how much I sort of projected that feeling or I really had it, but as someone, yeah, as, yeah, it was, it was pretty special. I was just, I was so pleased that we scored that night and won, of course, but like, um, yeah, it was pretty, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I've been to some pretty incredible sporting events in my life and that's, that's one of them. Like, yeah, it, it, to have sort of seen it for so many years and and anticipated it and then to experience that was really something special. And I can't wait, can't wait to bring my daughter along sometime. Well, lucky you and I bet you she's looking forward to it. Last one yeah. for you. In your lifetime, other than Messi and Ronaldo, who would be one player that you have seen play and wish that they could have signed for Celtic? Take the money out of it, pretend we've bankrolled by some, you know, crazy rich person or Scrooge McDuck with crazy amount of money, whatever, who'd be the one player. And it doesn't have to be into this current team. It can be into whatever team in the past as well. Well, you know, Alessandro Diamante. But apart from obviously, you know, the, 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 um, I'm joking, of course, but he would, he would have been handy. Um, Oh boy. Um, For those who don't know, Diamante has a bunch of shit sticker tattoos all over his arms. Shocking. <laughs> Good. I was hoping we'd get some of that going. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Zidane was just is just so imperious, you know, like he was just so such a presence. And I guess maybe it's a little bit sort of you know, tinged with his final act as a as a player, but this he, I don't think it was a sort of the hard man that he sort of um, appeared to be at the end. But that kind of player who can be sort of like a just control the middle, but also be so creative as well. And um, uh, yeah, I think he's probably yeah get not yeah I, I, I sort of really really you know got into soccer during the. Um, yeah, that sort of early 2000s kind of period. And uh, he was just such a such a huge figure in the game, I suppose. And so, yeah, he's he's one that springs to mind. Um, yeah, I'll go with Zidane. Nice choice. Haven't had anyone bring him up yet, so really good choice. All right, Dave, thanks for jumping on and having a chat with me. And it's great um, for the listeners to get to know, know you a bit better. Uh, those of you jump on the uh, social medias on the bottom of the screen, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Celtic Down, Facebook, Celtic Down Under, look for the kangaroo. You've got a, we've got a page and a group on there, YouTube. Go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the notification bell so whenever we put out a, a, a live podcast or any videos or whatever, it's um, you'll get notified. And thanks again, Dave. It was fun having a chat. Nice one. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, it, it was.
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.